0: Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And
1: I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Still getting used to this. Rick,
0: the new, new music. I, I don't know. if Did I come in at the right time? You hit uh, it. You, you it. You nailed it. I, I, I think I need a cue. Maybe Trevor, if you could give <laughs> me a cue next time in my ear on when I'm supposed to come in. He's got this specific thing about a symbol and I don't know. But anyway, we, we've, got, we've got some breaking news here as we come on the air on Powerhouse Politics. Um, Rick? It looks like Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi is kind of, sort of, revoking her invitation to the president to come and address a joint session of Congress for the State of the Union address. This is a letter that she has just sent to the president. Uh, We have a copy of it. I've got it right here in my hands, Rick. I hear it. Um, And she points out that with the government shut down uh this could be complicated so she says sadly given the security concerns and unless the government reopens this week i suggest that we work together to determine another suitable date after the government has reopened for this address or for you to consider delivering your state of the union address in writing to the congress on january 29th you know they, they that was that, that's been done a lot and used American to be done history. all yeah. the time
1: yeah up until maybe 100 years ago or so yeah. Something tells me the president isn't going to take nicely to just being disinvited here. Uh, I, I don't think he's going to surrender the television opportunity. Uh, when, when, and if he has it, uh, and it's a little unclear to me as to whether you can actually disinvite the president once the invitation's gone out. Secret Service and Capitol Police—they can figure out the security. I'm sure they do it all the time. They continue to work, and uh, most of them—they're actually paid. It's—they're not among those that are affected by the shutdown. But the shutdown has—is having an undeniable impact. But it's still—the impact is still so muddled to my mind that that John, the other sound that that. Makes this move makes is of a of a of a chess piece being moved because Speaker Pelosi is trying to change a bit of the conversation around this, put some pressure back on the president. The president has been reaching out to Democrats, trying to bring some of them into the White House. In fact, we're going to talk to one of them later in the podcast who was invited, but but um, but actually did uh, decline that invitation, uh, uh, a freshman congresswoman from Virginia. But the president has been trying to change that and and trying to pick off some Democrats where he can because here we are more than three weeks into a shutdown that still nobody nobody's budging off of
0: yeah and and you know rick there's a lot else going on in the political world and we're going to talk at length about the uh, the shutdown negotiations with uh a, as you mentioned a a freshman member of the house who was invited to the white house on tuesday turned down the invitation we're going to ask her why that happened and and, and where we're going to go but also it seems and i know you're the you're the abc news political director uh you know you, you you also pay attention to to things like campaigns and elections, and it seems that like every day or two we have another Democrat jumping in the race for president, the latest uh, Kirsten Gillibrand from the state of New York and and she announced this on Stephen Colbert's show. take a listen
1: I'm just curious uh, do you have anything you would like to announce? Yes. <laughs> And what would that be, Madam? I'm filing an exploratory committee for President of the United States tonight. Tonight.
0: I don't know, Rick. I remember when, I mean, we look. It's not. She's not the first person to announce an exploratory committee on late night, t, the yeah, late yeah. night show. I understand that, but I, I, I'm still nostalgic for the kind of the, the big speech outlining what you you know. But that, that's okay. Whatever. But there is something I wanted, I wanted to point out. Uh, which is which is kind of interesting. Uh, you you may remember because you are the political director here at ABC that um, the that Gillibrand was just reelected uh, senator uh, from from New York, and I believe the Senate terms remind me that the 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 House is two years, yeah, right. Yeah. The Senate's six, six, six right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which would be which would mean that would bring her till after twenty. Twenty right, right. Well, it's that 20, I'm just 20, trying after to the cause, next cause we are, term, as a matter of fact because that's 2020 right next year, right? Okay, right. so that which is fine. We we've certainly had. I mean, I, I remember when Joe Lieberman ran as Al Gore's running mate, and he actually ran for both vice president and senate at the same time. One one lost. Um, the other. Yeah, I forget which one it was, but yes, yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, but 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 here here's something that I think could be a slight complication for Senator Gillibrand. Um, during her reelection campaign, she did a debate uh, on. It was broadcast on WABC. I think it was. This was in October. Uh, she was debating, um, uh, you know, her uh, her her Republican opponent, and this question came up. Just want to make this clear: you're, you're saying you will not get out of the race, and you will not run for president. You will serve your six years. I will serve my six-year term. Okay. So. Hmm. Now you're you're a you're a constitutional expert. I know. Can you let's say she she's she's running uh, exploratory committee, we assume means an actual campaign. Uh, let's say she gets the Democratic nomination and she wins the general election. You can't actually serve in both uh, as as a senator and president of the United States, right?
1: Uh, I believe the answer to that is no. I think that would violate a whole bunch of separation of power things. Mm. Hat tip to our good friend Bill Ritter from WABC for the sharp question. Uh, That was just a couple of days before uh, her her re-election bid. She is now two weeks into the Senate term where she's announcing that exploratory committee. Uh, This is a a well-trodden path of, of jettisoned promises that I believe a certain man named Barack Obama uh, once made very unequivocally, saying that uh, he would not be a candidate for either president or vice president uh, if elected to the Senate back in 2004. Of course, he maintained that all the way through 2006, and then he kind of changed his mind and then became president. I you know, I, I don't think is voters. The, is this
0: a little different though? Uh, I mean, I this mean... was very
1: explicit, and it was right before the election, so maybe it was I, three uh, months ago. And and, I don't, and I, she I don't... And, and and she, you know, Obama
0: said he 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 wasn't going to run for president. He obviously ended up running and winning and all that. But this was not simply that. This was an explicit promise three months ago. Theoretically, she was already preparing this exploratory run. I would think this had at least pop, come to her the mind. Thought, yeah. um, and, and she is promising not simply that she won't run, but she's promising
1: to fill her entire six-year term as a senator. I mean, the cynic might say maybe she thinks she'll lose. I don't know. I mean, she'll, she can still serve in the Senate if she's, if she's an unsuccessful presidential candidate. I, I think there's uh, – the, 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 that, that quote aside, I'm struck by the, uh, the, the speed with which everything has developed. I think candidates, including Senator Gillibrand, frankly, I think moved up their timeline uh, for a very specific reason, and that reason is named Elizabeth Warren. She got things started on New Year's Eve. By announcing that exploratory committee. By the way, she was just reelected to the Senate as well, we should note. she just Without such a promise. Without such a concrete promise. But she did have the kind of squirreling language around no plans and the like to to run when everyone knew that she was. Uh, This field is getting very crowded. It's incredibly diverse already. We already have three women at the exploratory uh, phase. Uh, One Latino man. We're expecting Kamala Harris- uh, to, to jump in as well, to add to the ranks. It is, it is going to be an enormous field, and it is going to smash all sorts of records in terms of uh, 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 gender equity, number of women running is going to, to break records, and the, the number of minority candidates uh, also certain to break records. Uh, white men will be a minority almost certainly when those first debates start in June. Well, this will be an
0: historic race and very interesting for all those reasons. One thing that I already like about this cycle, I have to confess, uh, Rick, is that I, I'm so accustomed to coy coyness from potential yes, presidential candidates. Yes, yes. They're on their seventh visit to New Hampshire and they're saying, well, I don't know. I'm just, you know, nice place you know, to be. In nice January. Place to be. I, um, and, you know, is, is you have these uh, these Democrats coming out and even when they're doing an exploratory committee, making it very clear they're running. Yeah. Um, and that is, that is kind of refreshing. Uh, so we have to take a quick break. But before we do, Rick, question to you, because you are the expert here, uh, how many declared Democratic candidates will we have... Uh, uh you know one year from now how how many how many democrats will actually get well, into this
1: one year from now is different than six months from now okay I six, six months number, from now some people could have dropped out be before higher. Iowa. Yeah. okay
0: yeah, yeah yeah okay so six months from now how many candidates 24 and a half 24 and a half all right uh, when we come under. back we'll ask rick to name those 24 and a half or maybe uh, we got to take a quick break we'll be right back with more powerhouse
1: politics Is it still a struggle to get that good night's sleep? Then maybe it's time to try the Purple Mattress. It's made out of a new material that makes it firm and soft, so it keeps everything supported while still feeling really comfortable. Try it now with a 100-night risk-free trial along with free shipping and returns. And if you order one, you'll get a free Purple Pillow with the purchase of a mattress. Just text Powerhouse to 474747. The only way to get this free pillow is to text POWERHOUSE to 474747. Message and data rates may apply. When it comes to hiring, you don't have time to waste. You need help getting to your shortlist of qualified candidates fast. That's why you need Indeed.com. Get started today at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast.
0: All right, welcome back to Powerhouse Politics. We are joined on the line by Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger from the Seventh District of Virginia, freshman member of the House, uh, and of course, the, uh, the former CIA agent who defeated Dave Bratt. Thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity.
0: So it was widely reported that you were among the Democrats who were invited to come to the White House uh, yesterday, uh, Tuesday, uh, to meet with the President. Is that, first of all, is, is that true? Where, where, did you get invited?
2: Uh, so, you'll have to excuse, I have a bit of a cold. Uh, there were a number of uh, invitations floating around for a variety of different events. Um, I will, when given the opportunity to talk about the issues impacting the uh, federal workers in my district, I will take the opportunity to speak to anyone and everyone and advocate for them to get paid for the work that they're doing. And for those who are furloughed to get back to work,
0: but but what I'm asking is, were you invited to White House yesterday to meet with the president? And if so, why did you choose not to come?
2: Um, so recognizing that there would be multiple opportunities, or potentially, I thought it would be most important for when I engage advocating for the people of Central Virginia um, that I do so in um, the the an uh, environment and in a discussion uh that is meant to really move this discussion
0: forward so so you thought that the president didn't really want to discuss this was just if i'm I'm trying to understand you you were invited to come talk to him and and, yeah and 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 you're you're saying you you said
2: (laughs) what i'm saying is i will be pursuing an opportunity to have those discussions um that opportunity was not yesterday it will be soon
0: okay And, and and let me let me try to understand get 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 your I know you, you stand out in many ways as a um as a, a democrat who won in a district uh where the president uh did well that that's long been a republican district uh eric Cantor's district back in the day um and you also did not vote for nancy pelosi for for speaker so i i want to get your take on the way she has approached these negotiations uh, regarding a what, what seems to be an absolute no compromise position on the wall. Let me just play something she said uh, earlier this month.
1: Is there any situation which you would accept even a dollar of wall funding for this president in order to reopen the government? A dollar? <laughs> 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 one dollar,
0: so one dollar.
1: Yeah, how high was it? You, 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 no. you, you said a dollar. So well, go? that's <laughs> not your question. You said a dollar. The fact is, a wall is an immorality. It's not who we are as a nation.
0: So, are you comfortable with that position to say? first of all that a wall is an immorality uh, given that there already is there's already quite a stretch of wall on on, on the border uh, as we speak uh of stretches that were uh made possible by votes uh, from democrats as well as republicans but but larger but in, in in a larger sense are you comfortable with saying the the a position that says they are unwilling to compromise whatsoever with the president on his uh, a request for a wall no compromise at all no money i mean a dollar maybe but 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 no 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 real funds to build that wall no matter what the president agrees to
2: well and first let me actually go back to your prior question really quickly um just about the lunch yesterday there were nine republicans and and had i attended that meeting that wouldn't have been a productive bipartisan effort um there were some scheduling issues for the others who had been in, invited and so they were unable to attend um, and my priority, as I as I mentioned, um, was really to have effective conversation. So uh, just to follow up and be abundantly clear, it wasn't the, the venue or the participants. It was really the fact that there, in my view, weren't enough participants kind of from both sides to make it a valid bipartisan discussion. Now, sure. on the issue of border security, you know, there are, there are many Democrats who talk about this issue in many different ways. Of course, I come at it from the perspective of a former CIA officer um, and I worked counterterrorism, I work counter-narcotics. And so discussing how to keep this country safe from threats that present themselves at our borders and at our ports of entry is something that's incredibly important to me. And in part of that discussion, I think Democrats have been very clear, um, it, particularly in the past week um, and and beyond. I mean, if you look at the history of what it is that we've done time over time, what it is that we funded, what it is that we voted for, it is border security. And, and where I think that you know, in in recent interviews and in recent discussions, we have been very clear and members of the party to, you know, have talked about varying things to varying degrees. Um, But I mean, we've been very clear on the fact that we need greater technology at our ports of entry. Um, And and there are tremendous amounts of technology uh, that we could be employing that are, you know, 21st century solutions that will help us identify drugs, weapons, contraband that might be coming through, Um, And and unauthorized crossings, you know, when we talk about the potential of having physical barriers, there are miles of physical barriers already at the border. Um, But what we also need are we need sensors, we need radar, and we need, frankly, more personnel who are highly trained to be able to um, engage when there are unauthorized crossings. And so when we're looking at the threats as well for drugs coming through, the majority of drugs that come into this country come at ports of entry. Uh, The majority of people who are in this country without legal status came um, legally um, and, and currently have, uh, you know, their, their visas expired. So it really is about expanding our infrastructure at ports of entry and, and so that we are able to know what's coming to this country and, and who has arrived in this country.
0: But, but, I'm, but I, what I was asking is, are you comfortable with the position taken by the Speaker of the House that she is unwilling to negotiate with the President on the question of funding for the border wall? She has made it clear she will not agree to funding for the border wall. Are you comfortable with the with, with position? I understand you're saying there's a lot more to border security than a wall, and the president, you know, uh, it may, it may be too simplistic on this. You may not like his approach to this, but are you comfortable with a negotiating position with the government shutdown where the Democratic leadership is unwilling to negotiate at all on the question of funding for the border wall?
2: So the, the issue, I think, and, and I do not presume to speak for Speaker Pelosi um, but in, as evidenced in her actions, on the very first day that we were in Congress, we voted with Republican support to reopen the government that did include border security funding, the very same bill that the Senate had, had passed in the 115th Congress um, with a unanimous voice or with a voice vote, uncontested voice vote. Um, and so it, that's an important piece of context. So headed into the 116th Congress, when we b- arrived here in a government shutdown, her first action was to take up a bill that had been already passed through the Senate. Um, so I think that was a pretty, a pretty strong stance that we were looking to make progress on this and not, and not bicker. And then after that, what we did was um, when, the, when the Senate, when Senate Leader uh, McConnell would not pick up the bill that we had passed, though the Senate had pr- previously voted on the same bill, We started dividing it out, and we passed to fund uh, different departments of the government to help at least um, impact some of the departments while we continue to have these discussions over security. I mean, my real um, disdain is for the fact that we have federal employees, public servants, the very function of our government that's being held hostage, because on a a separate note, the president is using – Um, the employment of individuals as a bargaining chip. And so um, that, I think, is the problem. And I I don't think that it is correct under any circumstance to allow for federal employees, and be it an argument over border security, an argument over the wall, an argument over something five months from now or a year from now. I I don't think it's ever appropriate to use the very function of our government and the salaries of hardworking public servants who are still doing their job as TSA officers, ensuring people don't get weapons on planes. Um, at border as Border Patrol agents, ensuring that we know uh, who's coming into this country as FBI agents investigating uh, terrorism cases. I mean, that is the really egregious thing is that currently all of those individuals who work hard day in and day out to keep us safe, our air traffic controllers who are ensuring that planes take off and land safely, um, our Bureau of Prisons employees who are working in federal prisons without pay every single day and and taking on a, a great risk. That's the real, real uh, problem for me, and that's why I think it's incredibly important that we say the government must reopen, and once the government is reopened and we are back to a point where, you know, the government is actually functioning, let's have good negotiations about border security, what that means, whether it's a virtual wall and enhanced um, border security, additional personnel, those are all the things that we need to be uh, talking about, and I am happy to engage in all of those conversations, particularly given my background. But the fact that we are going to delay the function of government because of what I actually do think should be, you know, discussions and negotiations about what it is that we need and not negotiations between parties, mind you. This needs to be a valid conversation about evaluating what threats exist and evaluating what methods, technologies and standards we should have to address them. So, you know, when we're looking at how to best secure our border, that is not something that political parties should be arguing about that is something that people should be sitting down and listening to experts and 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 basing those decisions based on what is going to most effectively most efficiently and most quickly actually address the challenges um, and possible threats that we face at our borders and ports of entry
1: so congresswoman you, you took you took office as part of this historically large class of Democrats uh, many uh, you know inspiring number of stories about why uh, people decided to run for office, including yourself, people that didn't have backgrounds in politics, if there was one uniting theme that I heard, it was, let's break up the politics of paralysis, the the politics of usual, let's get down to the actual business of solving problems that matter for the American people. Here we've got a a classic Washington impasse, a historically long shutdown, where where President Trump says, I need my border wall. Speaker Pelosi says, a border wall is an immorality. Where is the common ground? Could you support down the road after I uh, take let's to, let, let, unanimous consent today? You reopen the government. If you have those negotiations, can a physical barrier, which the president has made clear has to be part of a solution for him, can that be acceptable to you? We
2: already have physical barriers across miles of our southern border. There are but, but an additional but an additional, but additional
0: physical barrier. I mean, this is what we're asking about where these negotiations go. Are you willing? To once the governments be reopened uh, to support a solution to the border that includes what the president believes is the top demand uh, additional money for new border wall
2: so I think it is a matter of what's feasible there was a bill the USA Act that had part of it wanted uh, was was requesting a mile-by-mile assessment of the southern border because if we are going to secure the southern border and let's talk specifically about the southern border um, it If we are going to secure it, the the landscape of the southern border is vast. It has rivers. It has, I mean, impassable terrains. It has invasive uh, cane roots and plants. There are a lot of challenges if we want to have full coverage, be it visible, be it with radar, be it with uh, sonar, be it with any other effort uh, or sensors, excuse me, um, or cameras then we need to ensure that we know mile by mile how it is that we're going to do this. And so, I mean, the ultimate question is I will advocate for and I will vote for efforts to secure our southern border that are done in an effective and efficient way. And if that includes additional physical barriers, then I would support that. Um, But I think it's an important thing. And honestly, I think that people throughout our communities and our country and the media should be saying there's a lot of, there are a lot of different constituencies at work. We should be listening to what the Border Patrol thinks is best. Where are places that they have difficulties um, getting to? Where are places that are five hours of travel time for them to get to a certain point in the border? Now, if you have a, a physical structure there and someone's able to either tunnel under it or go over it, and your response time is five hours, is that the best place? Is it perhaps necessary to have additional personnel? There are so many questions I think that we need to answer. The bottom line is, yes, I would be willing to vote for and support um, any and all measures along the southern border, but under no circumstances is, uh, is a wall from, from, uh, you know, from, from across the southern border the, the optimal plan, particularly if we want uh, uh, to address this in, in any manner of, of a quick nature,
1: so you're, you're two weeks into this job. I'm curious impressions that you're taking away from it, and, and specifically because we're in the middle of this government shutdown, how, how united you feel like Democrats are at this moment. The president is bragging that Republicans are all on his side uh, and that there is united at ever. Can you say the same about the Democratic Party? What has this done to Democratic resolve, and how has this uh, shadowed or overshadowed your first two weeks in Congress? So
2: it's overshadowed my first two weeks in Congress because on my first weekend home, When I was excited to get out and meet constituents, I had to sit around a giant conference table with employees of our federal government who are working in our prisons, who are working in our airports, who are not getting paid. I had to talk to HUD employees who said that they are fearful for the people they normally serve because they're out furloughed and they know the elderly and veterans and children who depend on them are not getting the services that they need. So it's overshadowed that because what should be um, the initial entry of this new Congress um, here in Washington has been clouded by the fact that we are so focused on opening the government as well we should be. But the government shouldn't be shut down in the first place. Um, and so I think that is the challenge as as far as the Democratic Party is, is concerned. You know, the thing about the Democratic Party, and I speak only for myself when I say this, is it is a vibrant party. It is a diverse party. We, and, and you can see that in our class picture, as diverse as we are in age and gender and race and geography and professional background and everything else, we are diverse in our opinions and our thoughts and our ideas. And what I think is great and, and strengthens the Democratic Party is that we have disagreements, we have different approaches, um, and we come together on issues that are incredibly important um, and, and on the common values that we share. And so I'm proud to be a part of th- this Democratic caucus. Um, I think we are pushing each other and pulling each other on ideas. And frankly, that's exactly what should exist in the political spectrum. And, and I think that it is strengthening our caucus. And, and hopefully that strengthened caucus will positively benefit the American people, uh, particularly once we're able to move past this government shutdown, pay the people who have been working so hard to keep this country safe, um, bring everybody else back to work, restore the function of government, and then get to work on the real work, that the American people elected a new wave of members to address infrastructure, prescription drug prices, the opioid crisis, uh, campaign finance reform, everything and anything related to health care. And those are the conversations that I'm excited to have. And and I'll say this because I'm sure I'll get asked questions about it. I'm sure there will be lots of arguments about how we address many of these things. But that's exactly what makes our democracy strong. And that's frankly exactly what makes our caucus strong.
0: All right, Congresswoman Spenberger, I know you have to go. Just be, before you do, uh, you, you said you, you didn't want to go to the meeting yesterday because it looked like it was going to be very lopsided. In fact, <laughs> maybe you would have been the only Democrat uh, there. Uh, do, do, you, uh, do, do you expect or you, you're open to coming back uh, uh, soon to the White House here and talk directly to the president?
2: It, it is absolutely my hope and intention that if given uh, that, that I, I will take the opportunity to sit down with the president advocate for the people in my district and have um, a conversation about reopening the government.
0: All right. Abigail Spanberger from Virginia's seventh congressional district. Thank you very much for joining us on powerhouse politics. Thank you so much. So, um, Rick, uh, you know, Spanberger is an interesting, uh, interesting case because she, uh, we, have heard so much about the, the progressives in the freshman class, uh, AOC and, 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 and her, uh, Fellow travelers, but um, you know there are a number of uh, of moderate Democrats from Republican districts, and she is uh, certainly one of them. Although I I am struck as somebody who is not a career politician, somebody who came to this as 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 a you know, formally
1: with the CIA, she does have those political answers down, doesn't she? <laughs> well, and I and I think the the way that she um, sought to avoid a direct answer on the question of the wall—that's exactly the schism in the Democratic Party that the president is trying to exploit. That, to me, seems like the reason that Democrats don't want to be baited into a meeting at the White House because that is what could ultimately divide them. Do all Democrats in the House, or even most Democrats in the House or in the Senate for that matter, do they think that a wall, period, the end is immoral? I don't think you're going to find unanimity on that question. Pelosi's a little bit out there on that. Uh, and And this is this is where there 's a vulnerability now, should it give the President though any confidence that it 's taken this long to even get a meeting to even get the acceptance of a negotiation it 's still my sense, even though at the end you heard Congresswoman Spangberger say she would support a physical barrier as part of a broader solution that i don 't think that 's going to get the White House far enough as part of these negotiations i don 't know if it was a tactical mistake or not for these Democrats to. To say uh, that they're not going to meet with the president, given that they've had some some high ground on this uh, on the negotiations, and saying that they're willing to have talks at least, but I, I, I'm not sensing a, a, a crack inside the Democratic coalition in terms of their resolve. No, not not at all. It, it may have been a tactical
0: mistake. Uh, I don't know how much it, it really matters at the end of the day. But what what it did is it, is it changed the the, uh, the one particular talking point, which could be an important one about who's willing to negotiate. Uh, if, if you remember, before those Democrats uh, refused to meet with the president yesterday, it was the president who had walked out on a meeting right. of, of 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 the Democratic leadership. And that, you know, gave the Democrats the ability to say the president won't even sit down and talk. He storms out of his own meeting in his own building. Um, and, you know, now it's the Democrats won't even come to to have a meeting. I was a little bit surprised by it, given that uh you know uh, uh Nancy Pelosi had given a green light at least publicly for her her members to come down and 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 have the meeting uh but but who knows i I, I don't think it's a pivotal moment in these negotiations unfortunately i I think we're my sense is we are in for the long haul here Rick. <laughs> it,
1: it it's the weirdest it's the weirdest shutdown that I can remember because everyone is waiting for someone to blink. Yeah. But uh, it seems like the nation is kind of sleeping right now. So why would anyone blink? It doesn't. It hasn't reached that critical mass, John. Would you agree that we're not we're not getting a public outcry that says this is enough? There was a little bit with the lines at, at, at TSA checkpoints, but this hasn't gotten to a point of uh, of just utter frustration around it that, that that creates a change in the dynamic. And and short of that, you have two sides that are just diametrically opposed. Well, uh, I, I,
0: I think there's a, there's a chance that we get there. Um, we, people, you know, we, we've just now seen federal workers missing a paycheck, the, the Coast Guard, uh, for the first time, a branch of the U.S. military uh, being required to work without pay. So, so we will see. But on that note, this is all the time we have for powerhouse politics. Uh, thank you for listening. I want to thank our, our team for putting together this show uh, each and every week. Uh, of course, Trevor Hastings, uh, Avery Miller, Angie Yakk, uh, and even my uh, my co-host uh, Rick Klein. We'll be back next week.